Welcome to the Cowboy Office Show, where you'll experience expert analysis and epic discussion on key pillars of the equine industry, including sports, business, hobby, and the horse lifestyle. Your co-hosts are Jody Brainerd and Brian Dykert, industry veterans with over 120 years combined living the cowboy lifestyle. The Cowboy Office Show will help you get involved, ask more questions, and create change. We'll keep riding for you as together we learn from the ride already ridden, learn to listen better to our horse, and make our industry better for all. Each weekly episode, we'll take a ride around the industry in less time than you can load the truck and trailer. Drop your email at cowboyoffice.com to receive weekly updates and never miss an episode. Settle up as we ride into today's show. Well, hello, horse world. Hang on tight, because we are going to talk horse show production today. We have the one and the only producer and executive director of the largest Arabian horse show in the world. What a great ride this is going to be. Welcome to the Cowboy Office. I'm Brian. And I'm Jody. I'd like to welcome you to this episode in our series, Status of the Horse Show Industry. And boy, Brian, you are right. We have an episode for the horse world today. And it doesn't matter what breed or discipline you prefer. This show is one you're not going to want to miss. And let me introduce our guest today. We have with us Tara Lachey. She's a lifelong horsewoman, professional expert leader. She lives in Arizona. She's the executive director for the past 24 years of the Arabian Horse Association of Arizona. They produce the Scottsdale Arabian Horse Show. It's the largest Arabian breed show in the world. Terrell, I've judged that horse show, and I promise you, I'll tell you, anybody that's got a horse needs to go see it at least once. Welcome, and thank you for your time. Welcome to Cowboy Office. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Terrell, before we dive into the show too much, I've got to take a minute and uh, just do a little bit of highlights. i got to blow your horn just a touch. <laughs> two things, two things, because one, you've been with the... Uh, Arizona Arabian Group, the Arabian Horse Association of Arizona, for now 24-plus years. Um, I, I think you're too young to be there with that kind of time. So that's going to be fascinating <laughs> to kind of talk about within itself. And you and I have actually done a significant amount of work, but I've got to talk and highlight just a touch um, because you, like a lot of great horses, are rare and few and far between. So your resume speaks incredible, um, and I think it should be a, a stimulant for a lot of people out there in the horse world because this is the kind of things that um, many of us can do. Um, and so we look forward to talking about all of these parts, but you've been the executive director, like we just said, for the Arizona group for now 24 years. That show has been in, in existence for over 68 years. Um, I, I believe your 68th anniversary is this year. Um, and you guys, you know, it, yes, it's the largest Arabian horse show in the world that attracts over 2,000 horses across 11 days of competition. But, Terrell, you yourself as an expert, um, you own and, and manage a, a management company. It's called Event Management by Terrell. Um, and, and you've worked on an international level and I've got to take a minute um, to just highlight a few of them it would we could do a whole show on just your career and I know you're just getting warmed up so uh, there, there's lots more to do but just as an example you've been directly involved in the production of the Arabian Horse Association Youth Nationals in Albuquerque New Mexico the Arabian Horse Association Sport Horse Nationals in Lexington Virginia 
the Polish National Championship and Pride of Poland auction at Janow, Podlaski, Poland. And I hope I said that somewhat right. Um, so to all of our friends in Europe, don't hold it against me. Uh, the Egyptian Arabian Horse Show in Tomball, Texas. The Scottsdale Polo Championship here in Scottsdale. That's held at Westworld every fall. And the Australian National Arabian Horse Show. That's just to list a few of them. Your resume is extensive, but your expertise in show production and horse show production um, is very stellar. And so we thank you for your time and we uh, so look forward to the show. For the audience, just as a reminder, because you can go to Terrell's Association's website. It's a unique one. It's easy to remember, www.oneword.scottsdaleshow.com. That will get you straight to Terrell's organization. You can find out tons of information. We will also put a direct link on the episode on the cowboyoffice.com website again as well scottsdaleshow.com is their website please by all means so thanks thank for being you, here brian thank you that was a beautiful introduction <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's true and i'm going to get into some questions for you here in just a second terrell but like i said i want you know the the people that are going to listen to this show if they haven't been to that uh, that Arabian show in Scottsdale, it, I mean, I don't know how you do it. It's more like putting on a state fair than it is a horse show. You know, I mean, that thing is, <laughs> or a circus. Some might yeah, say or a, a circus, circus, right? <laughs> oh, it's yeah. I mean, it is. It's 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 way it's way way fun. So anyway, we, and we'll we've got lots to talk about. But um, let me start out with this first question about the industry. So uh, let's talk about it. You, you know, you're at the top of your industry. Um, your work is required. You know, to, for you to stay there. How do, how do you see the Arabian? show industry as a whole maybe not just scottsdale but but overall well i think the the arabian industry is strong we're getting ready to welcome 2000 arabian horses to scottsdale in three weeks and it feels really strong uh, we have over a thousand classes and so with that comes you know a ton of questions so it feels super strong and busy and exciting and you know we've we've been rapidly growing new and different divisions and attracting new people into the horse show world so i think you know it feels strong there's always a few challenges but going into this year coming out of two tough years it feels like we're back and what i don't want to what made the last couple tough well mostly the pandemic so shutting our doors were were a huge uh, spectator event so we had to close the doors to our spectator uh, for a year and then last year with the scare of COVID again it really it really impacted you know our commercial exhibitor expo and uh, people wanting to commit to the horse show I'd say our horses still came. We still had over 2,000 horses, but just the event in general uh, took a little bit of a hit because of you know what we've all yeah. gone through the past couple of years. Right, but it was really because of the whole world and the COVID thing. That was yeah. that was the big hit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just didn't want to assume it. 
So let's take one more step up because you just kind of highlighted on the Arabian industry and obviously your expertise is not only in the Arab industry as we highlighted with the polo event that you're involved in but others but do you have a view go one more notch up 30,000 feet horse shows plural you know you guys are running under the auspices of USEF and AHA um, and that's a little bit different than the world that Jody and I spend a lot of time in you know on the stock horse side but uh, if you just go up there another notch and look at the horse shows in today's time what's your view and take on that? Well, I think from the 30,000 foot view, overall, there's an excitement that we've not seen in a while. You know, I think I attribute some of that to Yellowstone and just the focus that's put on the equestrian community and just people wanting to get out and be around horses. We're seeing that. I mean, there's always the challenges with regulation, new different rules but I think the view is good I mean I, I want to believe all the the rules are for the betterment of the industry for the horses the people so yeah I think I think the 30-foot view has challenges but I think there's some excitement with people wanting to get out to events wanting to you know live a more organic lifestyle and be outside be around horses so I think it's there's an excitement there, thanks to I, I accredit it to Yellowstone and maybe a little bit people being locked up, but yeah, it's 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 exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's a man, that's a, that's a great answer, and I think overall, I think that you know the the people in the horse business always, you know, I mean if you're if you're a trainer, you make your living in the you know a trainer or a breeder, and you're you know, you're self-employed, you, you need to maintain a positive attitude. And I think that most people in the horse business see, see that, that I think that things are, things are certainly positive, even, uh, even if the economy's experienced a little bit of a downturn. I mean, the horse business, I think, is still going to stay strong. Um, so tell me a little bit, um, Terrell, the, the Arizona Arabian Horse Association is a state organization, and you're an affiliate of the Arabian Horse Association, the USEF, United States Equestrian Federation. Um, Tell us how long it's been around, and then tell me how much how much outside influence does the Arabian Horse Association and the USEF have on the Scottsdale Show itself? Okay, so uh, we started in 1955. We had Arabian horse owners and collectors of Arabian horses uh, importing them primarily from Poland. And they wanted to start a local competition. And so that was in 1955. We uh, were a nonprofit. And so we, we uh, donate to local charities that we feel make a difference in the community. So we, we have far-reaching arms that try to support, you know, not only the horse industry, but local charities. We are sanctioned by many different organizations uh the united states equestrian federation like you said arabian horse association the dressage association the reigning nrha so the list goes on um and i think with all of those affiliations it brings value to our horse show because it it unites us with a broader community uscf 
brings so much st- structure, rules. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, we couldn't do it without them. But we we organize many different events at various levels. So some of them we just run on our own, no accreditation. And so I think we're we're definitely a kind of a standalone association that can act and organize and do what we feel uh, will help support our community or outreach to other new and different people. So, yeah, it's it's a great organization for sure. And we have an active uh, board of directors and committees that are always working on trying to get you know, people, people's hands on horses. I mean, that's, that's basically what we try to do. Not only support the competitions, but a lot of breed promotion to get people involved with horses. Well, talk about that just a touch before we get, you know, deep into the horse show production and some of that stuff, which is more than fascinating. But the Arabian Horse Association of Arizona that you guys do, because I, I happen to know personally that you do many things beyond just producing horse shows, which that in itself is, you know, all encompassing. So just talk a touch on what you guys as an organization are doing, you know, your programs you've got inside that. And if somebody's not a resident or living in Arizona does not mean they shouldn't interface with you guys. If you know, right now is a great time of the year to come to Arizona. So come to your show in February, um, February 16th, 24th. Um, but they should interact and get information with you because you do more than just horse shows, right? So just kind of talk about your programs quick. Yeah. One of our uh, most successful programs is our amateur committee. And it is a group of people, like you said, Brian, from around the world that basically organize events from parades to trail rides to fun shows. Uh, We'll take Arabian horses to Phoenix Children's Hospital. We I mean, you name it, we've probably done it. We'll kick off the March of Dimes walk with Arabian horses. Uh, But it's a bunch of people that don't even own horses, love horses, and they get to be a part of this group that makes decisions on what they want to do. Our board, you know, regulates it slightly, but they're, they're autonomous. They can go and do breed promotion, but... Like you said, it's people who come here for a couple of months from Minnesota or wherever, <laughs> and they love horses. They, Some of them have never had a horse, and so it lets them get involved with the horse community, and the outreach has just been amazing. We have youth committees that, that organize, you know, things for kids and sometimes it's just pool parties but it, it's to strengthen you know a youth a, a youth community that's bound by Arabian horses and it's just you know nothing's really off limits it's not all horse focus some of its education some of its competition and some of its just social interactions and so it's bound together these groups like we have Die Hard, that's their claim to fame. They're the president of the youth committee and they take it seriously, which is really great. That's 
That's phenomenal. Jody, just as a side note, this organization is older than you and I, so no matter <laughs> how, how, how old we think we're getting, they've been around longer than us. So but make yeah, note. That's old, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is, and I and I think this, the, the, you know, the kids' organization is just an awesome thing because they're next in line, right? I mean, yeah. they're yeah. they're. I, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what breed or discipline; they're our next group. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome, for from that kind of support. So, way way fun. Well, talk for a minute under your leadership for over twenty years, Terrell. Um, and, and again, I do have direct experience. You and I have done some phenomenal work for the horse industry. There's no doubt about it. We won't get into that. But I do want to talk about your leadership, um, your expertise, the advancements that you guys have done, you and your leadership with the Arizona Arabian Group, because I have gotten to witness your continued forward movement. You made reference to a little bit of it being flexible and nimble because you are an autonomous organization, even though you have jurisdictional things to some of your shows. But, um, you know, you've developed the Breeders' Finals. You've developed the American Cup Championships. Um, I gave a list of some of the other things that you're directly involved in, not only domestically but internationally. Um, What pressure and demand do you see on horse show production? That's a good question. So I think um, I think that the pressures are that we see is obviously what the world is seeing right now: inflation and the cost of of everything, basically, from gas to get horses, you know, trailer horses to Scottsdale to the food the that they have to feed the horses, the cost of staying in hotels. You know, we're seeing it all, and, um, you know, we, you kind of touched on it a bit. We, we analyze all of that every single year. We take a look at what's working, what's not working, and how do we keep the horse exhibitors involved. And so, you know, with the rising costs and the inflation pressures, I even hate saying that word. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't come off my tongue very well, um, which is coming down now but just the hard to get goods that we need rental costs for structures and you know tablecloths chairs labor costs everything we've we've really taken a hard look at that how can we continue to give the same level of service without raising the entry fees and the cost for these horses to come these horses and people to come to our horse show because that's important to us and i mean i can proudly say we haven't raised rates in a very long time we've just looked at ways that we could uh, deal with the challenges and the pressures to to put on a great horse show and uh, still give the amazing experience so i think number one it's it's the pressures of you know things are just more expensive and then you know another another pressure that we see is you know we've gotten so big and Brian you know this we've we're busting at the seams and we put in you know infrastructure to try and still put on an amazing horse experience but the the ability to continue to do that has been a challenge 
So let me just, uh, the venue side, horse show production, I, I know, but when you have a one-of-a-kind like your February show, which truly is a one-of-a-kind, one, congratulations on you guys getting there, but two, you've stayed there for a long time, and three, keeping staying there is just as much work. So for everybody in the horse world, and like Jody said, it's it's one of those events that you need to go to at least once. There's no doubt. And once you go there once, you'll probably go back because there's, there's more than just a horse show there. I, I know that first person, so I would challenge everybody. It's a great time to come to Scottsdale, too. So go to the Scottsdale Arabian show and event. You'll love it. Um, but venues. Um, and and w- because you go across the industry in a large level. And so finding venues that are of that are capable of supporting event production at your level is that a easy thing or a hard thing or that's an extremely challenging thing people you know they're like the committees i work with let's go to nashville let's go to chicago let's and once you start digging deep for a facility that you can put on a not only a great event but some of the special things that we offer like VIP service it's tough so you know the the venues that support our horse shows are really really hard to find and then if you want growth you have to you know we can't pick up Scottsdale and go somewhere else you know it would take some time but if you want growth you know you have to really bake that into your future plans um but yeah, I mean, I've worked at various different event facilities and, you know, every show is different. You have to, to make them different to accommodate, you know, the type of sponsorships and experiences you want to offer to your your VIPs, to your horse exhibitors. So, yeah, venues, venues tough. That's a that's that's fantastic. I you know and, and let me because I'm I'm just curious about this. And I don't want to take up too much time on it, but but since you two have worked so much together, and Brian, you know, of course, <laughs> I've known him for ever, right? But tell me, how, and you know, Brian, this can, this one you can help answer this one too. But since I it, at a show that size, right? I mean, that, I mean, it's it's huge. So uh, who how, how much how much does does Westworld do? Like say from the parking, the food service, you know, your ring help, your dragging. How, does does the Arizona Arabian Horse Association have to take care of all that because they're just renting Scottsdale? Or, I mean, that, that Westworld, or I mean, how, how does that, how do you work together on that one, right? I mean, I, because I have no idea, right? It's I'm huge. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to let yeah. Terrell answer this one <laughs> yeah. first. Ryan, you answer up. that one. <laughs> no. It's uh no, it's uh, we Westworld's a great partner, and Brian has been. You know, I credit Was. a lot of our new and different things that we've tried to ideas he's planted in our heads, my head, and then shared with other people. So, um, anyway, Westworld is a different is a different structure than most. We have a long term contract. We were the first tenant to sign at Westworld in, I think it was 1988. And so we have rights that most other events don't have. We have the food and beverage rights and you know a lot of the other different concessions that come along with that. So probably more so than the other horse shows or 
that we do and other horse shows and events that come to Westworld, uh, we do bring in a lot of our own management to oversee the cleaning and the food and beverage management and you know management of RV sales and a shopping expo you know uh, production so we a lot of that is done right in house and okay. and so yeah uh, I, I think it's kind of a hybrid hybrid it, model. It, well, it is, and I think that that in itself, we could we could actually do a show on the business level of event production between an organization like the Arabian Horse Association of Arizona and Westworld as a city department, public, you know, municipal-owned asset. But anyways, and Terrell and I, and one, it was, I was, I'm not anymore, I was, because I retired, and I, I'm now with the cowboy office, but anyways, that the... the I, and I am very proud because it was Terrell and her board that were the main catalyst. And here comes the, and she's right, um, for all of those things, which are unique business um, agreements between entities. So that's not new news. But the way we put that together and Terrell and her board and when I was there working for the city, running Westworld, we put together a new 20-year contract, and this was back in 2013, 2014-ish. And the point of that is we sat down like business people and looked at needs on both sides, which was capital and operations from a Westworld standpoint and, and production and cost of production from their standpoint, and we just found common ground to look into the near future, which is which was a twenty year contract, and I would tell you that that the terms in that contract are very unique. There aren't many in the country. Actually, I don't know of another one. There's there's not one like it. There was closest one that I could tell you would be somewhat similar, and I actually got the preliminary ideas from was the Ohio Quarter Horse Association and their relationship with the Ohio State Fairgrounds because they did a similar, not the same business deal, but a similar one, which was looking into the future. And so um, what they had done is what precipitated all the work that Terrell and I did. And so um, it, it's a great case study that I think the entire horse show world could look at and learn from because going forward and I th that's why I asked Terrell that question about one venues and the availability to venues but then two is your ability to grow because you can't stand still in this world so you've got to grow and well now you're talking about capital investment and and how do you do that when you don't have capital that'll let you grow that's a whole nother dimension and all of us in the horse show world have got to start looking and paying attention to more of that from a production standpoint. So anyways, I'm very proud of that. And thanks, Terrell. Well, thank you, Brian. I, what <laughs> Brian left out is he, he's the one who elevated Westworld to the next level. We, we, we have been, we worked for years before Brian came to Westworld to say, put in the infrastructure and, when Brian came, he he listened to all of us users, and he he helped uh, get it done, or he did get it done. And we, you know, we anteed up some money and some debt service money, but 
he's the one who listened to all of us and saw the need for a world-class facility so the thanks is owed to you brian <laughs> it's it's all of us it's it's just doing business together for the common good so um well, go ahead and i, I I, no, I think the advantage that both of you had, like I said, that's an incredible story. I'm glad I asked the question because I really have no idea. I mean, I mean, it, I, really? I mean, right. it's the only thing I've ever, I've never even heard anything like that before on a 20 year contract. But, you know, I think it, it helps that both of you have backgrounds and have been in it for so long. Brian, you know, has done this thing, you know, I mean, he's, he's shown horses and he knows, he knows what it's like to be, you know, to be a client that, that has to go, a trainer that has to go to a horse show. And this is what I would like to have. And I think that's, I think that's, that's helped like immensely. So anyway, great answer you two. And I, I'm sure that that's, that that's really, I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be interested in that. Um, okay. So Daryl, the Scottsdale horse show is 16th through the 26th. It's the largest in the country, largest Arabian show in the world. Um, you offer cattle, advanced stock horse disciplines. I know because I've judged them. And what are the hurdles you face with with the event in the future? Like you said, from a growth standpoint, I mean, do you want to get bigger? I mean, can it can it get bigger? I'm just, you know, it was like it's like holy cow! It's like you know, if you got all, all my stalls are full now, what do I do? Right? I mean. Yeah, exactly. I think about that all the time. Like, we're always driving to be bigger, bigger and better and bigger and better. And, and I don't, I don't know if it needs to be bigger. I mean, I don't know where we'd put more temporary stalls. I mean, we already bring in over 3000 stalls. And with, you know, limited suppliers, that's a challenge. But I think it's like human drive to make things bigger and better. And so, you know, I, I I don't think you can let off the gas pedal on that one, because if you don't do that, I don't think you're bringing new people into the industry and creating more opportunities for people in the industry or wanting to get into the industry. So, you know, we, we stick right around 2,200 horses. We've been as high as 24. And I think would we like to grow? Yeah, but then it makes it hard to not be done before midnight and you have to start raining or dressage at seven o'clock in the morning. So yeah, I think smart growth is good. Um, if the people are there, we'll offer it because we definitely want to support the Arabian community and the horse market in general. So yeah, I think bigger and better and our challenges are just, Brian can attest, we've maxed out that property. I mean, it's a big property, but to put it all in one footprint becomes, you know, almost impossible, but we'll continue to, to push to grow. Keep yeah. playing. Well, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and, and we're going to talk about growth on an industry standpoint, and I think it's somewhat similar because yes, the reflex bigger, we think bigger means better. You just said a very powerful statement, which is maybe not, but so, so really it is, should we think about it different on what does better, could better look different? And that's where I think, that's what I believe, the current modern horse show world is looking at itself on how to do it different, and therefore different should be better. And is there other ways for more people to get involved with horses that doesn't mean every horse show has to have 2,000 stalls. I just pose that as a bigger question. 
in directly relative to your February show because it is a one of a kind. How do you keep serving all of it? Which what we hear in the industry is the difference between fun and affordability versus the pros that need to make money and keep the economics turning. So how do you serve it all at that level being a one of a kind? Well, I think you just touched on it a bit. I mean, first off, we try to put on the world's greatest horse show. We we claim that we claim that phrase and we try to live up to it every single year. But what we, what we've been doing is uh actually I think something that you said to me, Brian, is having different horse experiences and and that was the the catalyst to bring in you know, an immersive horse experience last year that we had, we put thousands of people through. We had lineups every single day. And what that was is uh, we built an additional arena right when people walk in to the horse show and they could line up and they could learn how to lead a horse. And they call that horse speak. So they learned if they leaned into the horse, the horse turned away or if they you know their actions the horses knew how to communicate with them and so we taught them a little bit about that and then they could ride a horse they could i I mean it was endless they could ride a horse they could do um this sir single work it was it was amazing and so we've expanded on that this year we brought that group back in it's called hoof beats uh usa and We've brought in uh, ambassador horses, so this will be the first year we've done that, uh, where we brought in kind of the rock stars of the industry. They're old, retired show horses, the majority of them, or they're famous stallions. And so people get to come and meet them and learn about them. And, uh, you know, I liken it to a movie star. You know, they can come and see these horses that, that are being promoted and learn something about them and walk away with with a feeling of they just saw something pretty special. And well, so you- kind of back to your question, sorry, I, I got off track there, but I think, <laughs> you know, our number one goal is to put on an amazing competition for, for our exhibitors, for our trainers, for our owners, to put on, uh, you know, something that is of high level, uh, with great competition, and we all know a good schedule counts. So, you know, we we have 11 days with a thousand different competitions going on, and that's only the competition part. And then we have this immersive horse experience. So we're focusing on just getting more people involved with horses. And it's not all Arabians in the immersive horse experience. It's all breeds, but it's to get people... To, to meet the horse and to realize what amazing animals they are. And that's been a huge focus the last couple of years for the horse show. Good for you guys. Good really for you guys. Good. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, it's, uh, that's, that's so positive. And I, 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 th- I think you're right. Some of the Arabians are movie stars. 
right? I mean, some of those, some of those horses are, I mean, they, they, they are, I mean, they're, they're so, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, so let me ask you this question because I think every, every reigning horse trainer is at one point or another ridden an Arabian and shown them. Um, I, I know I certainly have, and I've, I've coached some world champion, you know, Arabians, half Arabians. Um, so, you know, you, you have such a mix, you know, you mentioned the Polish Arabians that, that started in 1955. So you've got the Egyptians, the Polish, you've got your half Arabians, your saddle horses, you know, your flat saddle horses, your stock seat horses, and you have to mix them all up and come up with enough classes. So, <laughs> I mean, that's why your, there's a thousand. Your, that's right, why there are a thousand. Exactly. Where's your growth coming from? Is it maybe one, are they maintaining, are they consistent? What? Tell me about that a little bit, if you can. So uh, the growth comes in different areas. So we'll see divisions shrink and other divisions grow. Uh, what we've seen kind of overall is the exponential growth of half Arabians. Arabians are so versatile. And so they can be bred as, you know, designer dogs. We they don't really call them designer horses, but they can. we can breed a purebred Arabian horse with a quarter horse and be competitive in the reigning, the reigning arena. We can uh, breed them to trot really high with the saddle bred. So that's a huge portion of the Arabian horse market is the half Arabians. And so with those, we have specialty classes like saddle seat, stock seat like you were saying with with the cows and you know various different competitions um i think where we're seeing a lot of growth that we're trying um to offer enough opportunity is in divisions where people can do some of the work themselves because a lot of our divisions have become highly specialized and very, very competitive. And I think that's true of, of any competition where horses are involved. They're getting bigger and better, more talented. And so uh, where we're seeing some growth is in the divisions where amateurs can, can do a lot of the work and, and still be competitive. And that's in the ranch horse riding the sport horse some of those some of those places where it's not quite as fine-tuned but it still requires a lot of skill and well, so uh did that answer your question yes absolutely it did <laughs> okay. i think did you have that's fast you're gonna add right yeah it is well i think it's fascinating because you provide an opportunity that many of the disciplines themselves don't and as the disciplines look to how do they get beginners involved in an advanced discipline that's a hard bridge to cross you're kind of doing that and what you're talking about is the reference in the industry to those people that can do more themselves and minimize cost and resources from other expertise but then still go you know yes you've got to practice yes you've got to gain experience yes you've got to advance skills but that allows them to go at their pace that's i'm interpreting that a little bit but you're making reference to that's where you see more growth than anything now right exactly yeah a, a new division it's not at scottsdale because we just don't have time in the schedule but some of our other horse shows we have added the academy division which allows lesson programs 
to bring their horses, lesson horses and kids to to try competing and that that's a huge growth area and it's open to all breeds. Um, but that this past couple of years, these past couple of years, the adult youth divisions, they're amazing. They're they're it, and it gives a brand new person the opportunity to get in the show ring. I you know I I think that that's I mean that's just such a good program and I will tell you from a from a professional standpoint not I'll. I'll share a little story with you here, and it's it's not. I mean, this I say this tongue in cheek because I'm a kid. I grew up in Minnesota, right? And Minnesota, back in the late '70s and early '80s, was a huge Arabian state. There were lots of Arabian horses, Ganes Arabians. I mean, they were in that's Minnesota St. Paul area, huge, you know. And and so when we're a kid going to the Minnesota State Fair, it had a they had a, a full slate of Arabian classes. Well, of course you're a kid, and you know, I mean, it's like well, we're quarter horses; those are Arabs, and you know. And we always used to go run to see the Arabian halter because we knew that those the, the two-year-old studs would come in there and they would have these halters on with about as big as a pencil, right? And so we knew one of them was going to break loose and run around and it causes a major amount of disruption in the halter class, right? And then the guys would run out of their loafers and all that kind of stuff because they were wearing shoes. But I, I think what what has happened later in life when, when the half Arabian started coming to guys like me, people would call me and say, can you, know, would you be interested in riding this horse? And I say, yeah, okay. So we try them. And first of all, we find out that they're very trainable. And secondly, the thing that was lacking in our business, and it's getting better, but I, I, I attribute most of this to the Arabian Horse Association is that the people weren't in a hurry to get their horse trained. And that was something that we were under tremendous pressure to get the three-year-olds out and get them trained and get them shown. And, and I have an Arabian client that would say, We'll get it next year. And it's Take like you could, uh, the greatest thing ever. So anyway, yeah. there's, my, yeah. there's my two cents worth. It's very true. Yeah, you know, it's those those crazy halter classes that the breeders love with those horses jumping around, snorting, and, you know, <laughs> being very dramatic. The Arabians are known for their charisma, yeah. so they love that. But we, we always are trying to stomp out the, you know, when people say these horses are crazy because they're not crazy. They're, they are charismatic. And like you said, they're very, very smart. And oftentimes, you know, they, they know what's right and wrong and they'll try to fight, you know, for their belief. And, but in the end, you know, they're, they're amazing, amazing and beautiful. Well, and and I think that they know that they're more beautiful than the other breeds. So that's where a little bit of it might come from. So just that. Type. You're right. See yeah. how smart and, they are. Yeah. Right. Well, and they, you know what? I will, I will, say, I will say this from a trainer standpoint: they do what they're taught. Because I've never had, I've never had an Arabian that wouldn't. I, was the most respectful individual in the world because that's the way he was treated when I was training him. So mm -hmm. I, I never had issue with them. But yeah. So true. Yeah. So. That's cool. Way cool. Well, that's that's fun. Well, tell us just a touch um, on your February show. Why should people, I mean, I know why. If you don't live in Arizona and you're in any other part of the country right now, it's the gray days are starting to get to you. You've had enough of the snow and the ice. But so not only should they come for a little bit of sunshine, but they need to come to your February show. Why? 
Well, they need to come to our show because the Scottsdale show, because it's the Mecca for the Arabian horse, basically anywhere in the world. But Scottsdale speaks for itself. I mean, there is no better place to go in February than Scottsdale with, you know, all the events going on, the beautiful weather, the outdoor activities, the restaurants, the shopping, the golfing. (laughs) I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah. It is it is just such an amazing place to be and there's you know I th- when I think of a vacation for myself it's not sitting on a beach it's a place where I can go maybe hike a little bit go to a good restaurant you know and Scottsdale doesn't have the beaches but it has everything else and the weather is outstanding so I think uh you know, Scottsdale's done such a great job of attracting tourists and promoting tourism. And, you know, they say if you build it, they'll come. Well, it's built and the people just need to come. <laughs> it's a beautiful yeah. place to live Well, your, and visit. Your show is older than us, and I've told this story because I live here, but Scottsdale is incorporate is almost the same age as Jody and I. So if you just look at that, and why is that pertinent? Because when you look at cities and towns that were incorporated and just starting in the 50s, that's Jody's and my time frame, look at what Scottsdale's done in basically one generation. I I do have a lot of experience in other towns that are, you know, struggling, trying to figure all that out. That destination port, I think, is a big one. So um, anyways, it's pretty cool when you kind of look at it from a case study standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah, that is that is way, way good. And like I said, the important thing I think that people need to understand is we were talking about this with the quarter horse run that goes on. Um, but it's like you don't have to have a horse to go there. I mean, you can you yep. I mean, you can go enjoy the Arabian horse show. And there's so like I said, there's a thousand classes, right? I didn't know that. But I mean, it's like, there is. I could I could I could go watch it. I could go watch a different class every, you know, 10 different classes every day for 10 days. But Anyway, that's way good. Okay, um, so here's a question, and, and it's not universal. I mean, you just breed, it's, it's with, with all of them, with the quarter horses, whatever. But with the Arabian Horse Association breeding and registration numbers down in the Arabian horse side of the industry, well, I mean, what does this mean for you from the Arizona Arabian Horse Association? I mean, you know, like I said, it's, it's not just the Arabians. It's the quarter horses. It's everyone. So um, can you speak to that for a second? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, with breeding being down, it means we need to work harder to introduce people to these amazing animals. I think uh, people, once they meet a horse, and I say an Arabian horse, they there's an experience that they get. Not all people, but a lot of people. And so I think what, what all breeds need to do is, A, I think we can all work together. I know there's always been some rival between the breeds just to keep their market share but I think we all need to work together and and let people know how amazing these horses are and and that'll that'll from the grassroots level create a demand and when there's a demand people will start breeding so that's um that's an important topic of conversation for us, and uh, it's why why we're doing all the outreach, why we're doing the immersive horse experiences, trying to create some demand. But 
I think we'd all agree horses make our lives better and and I think there's a lot of people in the world that that need to realize that that the the horse cowboy horse lifestyle is a happier lifestyle and it's uh it's we we work so hard to try, try to find things that make us happy and you guys can attest soon as someone gets involved in horses and they're hooked that's that's happiness well look look, look at us too so yeah. anyways we're it's, still laughing but anyway right it's i mean it's i mean it's it is true and and terrell this is a this is not a i mean i'm going to I'll throw I'll throw something maybe it's a little more difficult out there and it's not not even so much a question I'll, uh, I will ask you but you know I think that uh, you know I, especially the you know the Arabian horses and it's ha it happens in the in the quarter horse business the reigning horse business now I mean with the with the Yellowstone gig it's great but you know horse prices have gone through the roof okay and so it makes it very very difficult for someone to get started and I I personally I don't I, mean, I don't have to do this anymore I'm in the for sure the semi-retirement phase i've got one for my wife and you know i still have to go ride a couple but um don't have to have that barn full anymore but i you know even in the past few years i would go look for a horse for someone and and because you know maybe a half dozen horses sold for i six figures lots and lots of money mm -hmm. everybody's convinced that theirs is worth exactly the same amount and or a through the roof <laughs> price i mean they do and i and mm -hmm. and whether or not it's a good horse they're going to price it like it's the greatest one in the world and it's like right. you just get to shake your head and walk away from them it's like people you're nuts i mean i'm talking about from a professional standpoint does this do you see the same thing in, in, with the arabian horses Absolutely. I mean, we love to talk about the yearling filly that sold for over a million dollars at the auction we had at Scottsdale. But what we really try to do is let people know there's that's one in a million. We love to talk about it, but there's horses out there that, you know, are affordable. And so, you know, I don't... <sighs> anyone can sell their horse for what they want to sell it for but i think breeders and trainers uh need to support the idea that trying to make as much money as you can off of a horse isn't isn't the end game the end game is getting new people into horses and growing their base of of clients that'll stimulate the breeding market and i think it's just we we're always trying to communicate that you could you can find a trail horse out there for a thousand dollars or whatever but it's yeah that's that's a tough one that we really need to try to figure out because without afford affordability of horses it's just the barrier that's going to keep people out well i would i i want to jump on that one a touch because we have a luxury it's a it's a curse and a blessing at the same time our market is not regulated and which is a good thing the bad thing is you get a lot of what we're talking about now and then the other part is it puts the pressure on the consumer to put the work in to go find whatever it is they're needing and it's really the process by which they one get into the horse world and then two step their way through it and if if all of us the collaboration you made reference to terrell i think is a phenomenal time in our lifetime that 
while we all went our own ways, we're now back full circle and looking at how do we collaborate better. And that goes directly to this question that Jody brings up on, on cost, the barrier of entry of cost mm-hmm. to enter. And I've used this one a lot because I don't think having horses is too expensive. It's that most of us put undue economic pressure on the new people coming in. And there are, there are different alternative ways, and that's what we as an industry got to kind of look at. And I'm a big one on, and I think our governing bodies have got to look at our industry different because we've always put the pressure on ownership. Uh, especially at the beginning, you know, the youth and the amateur level, we make them have to own those horses. I think there's a different way that amateurs and youths can um, develop skills and get more experience. And it's not about spending six figures on a given horse. So we got to continue to explore that. So anyways, that's, that's my 20 cents on that subject. Well, I think that's, I think it's a good one. And I think Carol, you're absolutely right. I think, I think that more, it doesn't matter if the if the American Quarter Horse Association and the Arabian Horse Association get together and address that problem together. The paying horses, it doesn't matter. All I mean, that. but it it's common and it and it it needs to be addressed. So anyway, like I said, that's that's good answer. Thank you for that one, um, Brian. This is this is more your ballpark than it is mine. But let's let's talk a little bit about the professional staff, <sighs> career development, and staff recruitment, huh? How do you find and create a professional network for career opportunities, professional development beyond horse trainers? Um, like I said, this is this is Brian's gig. It's just my <laughs> my turn to, my turn to ask the question, but he he's going to give you his two cents. I promise. Nope. Go for it. <laughs> well, it's a career development. That's a common conversation. It's coming up at the Cowboy Office show on almost every episode. And the point is, um, Terrell. You being in the show production standpoint, how are you finding professionals to support the production that you're needing and then, you know, the development of them? So would love to hear your point on that. That That is a good question. I mean, we're, we're lucky. We've had, we have 200 people that come and work the Scottsdale show approximately every year. And many of them have been with us for decades and they're, they're amazing, but there is a need. They're starting to retire now. And um, so we have been working with a local college, Scottsdale Community College has an equine program. And so we started a scholarship with them and part of their uh, graduation criteria is they have to intern with us at the horse show. And so we make available various opportunities uh, whether it's in the show ring, being a ringmaster, or helping organize the volunteers, uh, running gates, announcing. So we give them these opportunities to learn how that is done. Um, but yeah, that that is a challenge that luckily we've been successful in finding people and cultivating local people for our small shows locally. Uh, I think that's that's huge, and you know I don't know the answer to that. I I I know we're lucky because we have a hundred people that have been doing it longer than I have, and so the time is coming. I know where they're going to retire, and we have to be able to to put new, skilled, successful people in there. So, 
Well, I and I, well, the chore gets to be you can put new people in, but it, some basic experiences and exposures. And what we hear, what Jody and I are hearing a lot, is because of the whole shift in uh, society. You know, we're we're moving away from agriculture and livestock and that kind of stuff, and so those skill sets now to the younger generations they don't have it and so now mentoring them and somebody's got to lead them and teach them some of those things that creates a whole nother pressure in the industry when you talk about um professional career positions so anyways i don't have the answer either but it's a common conversation i think we as an industry again there's a collaborating effort, and I think I think from high schools and vocational schools to community colleges, to even university systems, to all the commercial enterprises in our industry, mm-hmm. we've got to do a better job of mentoring those and developing those like we do with a horse. Yeah, agreed. I went to the Arizona Conference for Tourism, and the hotels were talking about, you know, they just can't find people to work in the hotels, so they've had to change how people work. They work shorter shifts, fewer days. Uh, They give them various different duties to do instead of just running the front desk. And I keep thinking we need to try to come up with a formula where that works in our horse shows. Because, you know, a 16-hour day probably isn't appealing to the younger generations where you know it was what what we do right so we probably just have to look at a different work model a different uh model that that rewards them for contribution but maybe not to the extent we've worked well we'll stay in touch on that one because it's a common piece in the industry as we move forward here in the 21st century that I think again as an industry can we be collaborating more so on that um, I, I think yes and in, in today's time because communication is so much easier even mobility we're not we're not limited like we used to with geography so the right. ability to get people and put them in places and do those things um, you know Jimmy Kaiser and the Kaiser Arena Specialist we talk about this too because having that kind of expertise that he takes on the road, he does it with a crew of four to six that they're doing, you know, a hundred and some days a year at major events. And so it, where's the next one is always that part of the conversation. So thanks. And we'll stay in touch on that one. Let's okay. talk growth just a touch. We've talked on it in some different forms. Um, you know, bigger is not always better. Is there a better, different way? What does growth mean? You've you've elaborated on um, more people getting exposed to not only the Arabian horse, but horses in general. Um, are there other things in growth that you guys, the Arizona, the Arabian Horse Association of Arizona, look at that is that we haven't heard about or thought about? Is there growth, and how do you guys stay relevant and moving forward? So I think what we've focused on more so lately than before is just any kind of exposure. We want people to come to the show. We want them to interact with horses. But just, you know, I liken it to Yellowstone again, just exposure to watching horses, just exposure. You know, we did a real estate podcast yesterday 
just to to talk about the horses and I think with so many different groups looking for content I think the more we can get out there and just talk about these horses and I think it leads to growth organic growth people start thinking about it it's like the logo being exposed to someone numerous times and they're gonna go buy you know whatever I think we just need to keep talking and till we're blue in the face and just try to grow the horse culture because I you know like I've said already today it's just it's just such an amazing lifestyle and it's just good for people and there's so many people that could benefit from it do you let, let me ask you this one you've already said economics but is there anything else that you see in the immediate future that are kind of hurdles or challenges for you guys as a show producer and producing you know one-of-a-kind major event are there hurdles other than economics uh there are like all the regulation is starting to become a hurdle for our exhibitors and I, I and I'm not speaking against it. I'm just uh, we see the frustration in all the hoops that they need to jump through now, uh, whether it be with the rules or with safe sport or with um, you know different waivers and and things that they have to agree to and and abide by. I think they're they're saturated, and so what we've done. Uh, to try to solve that problem is positively educate them on why this is necessary, not just like, here's another rule, here's another right. rule you have to follow, trying to, to let them know why. And I, I, we found that is that has helped quite a bit. Um, but I think, you know, it's just the bureaucracy of of running a competition has gotten... And I, I'm, it's necessary, parts of it are completely necessary, but I think the the casual competitor is fatigued by all the rules and regulations and memberships and, you know, yep. drug fees and different things that they have to have to deal with. Right, understood. And yeah, with I, your I, February. I would agree. Some, some, of your, some of the USEF's judges requirements are exhausting. I mean, not just not just from an exhibitor standpoint. It's like you got to be kidding me, right? It doesn't have anything to do with me getting the horse in the right spot. Is a whole there's a whole bunch of other stuff I have to do to maintain that card. So, um, okay, good stuff. What um, this is something that I like to ask everybody that we have on the show, and it's where's the primary influence coming from in your organization? Is it the breeders, trainers, owners? Where's the biggest peer pressure come from? At your horse show, and I don't want to say it's going to be a problem, a problem area, but I'm just saying, who who tries to exert the most influence? Uh, influence, I would say probably the trainers. No, no, I think uh, you know, I think there's uh, there's influence coming from all those areas. I think you know the trainers; it's their livelihood. They're they're in the arena. They're making mm -hmm. they're making it happen. Um, I think where we're seeing where we need to uh, exert the most influences with the breeders 
by offering different programs to incentivize them to breed. Um, but yeah, I think it comes from all those areas. And I, I think that we do a really good job managing that. Not You can't make everyone happy, but we're very clear you know, on our rules and trying to educate people. And I think when we started to do that, it it really set people back a little bit because, you know, oftentimes there's people always looking to fight for something and, and it just oftentimes because they don't know. So we got out in front of it and have tried to slow that down a little bit. Good for okay. you guys. Yeah, well, obviously. Way, way good. Obviously, it's been working because you're at the top of your industry, at the top of your field, and you've been staying there. So um, keep it up. Good for you. It's an interesting question, and Jody always loves to ask that. And so looking at our industry, you know, a little bit larger, where is that primary peer pressure? And we, Jody and I, get to have a lot of fun talking about inside components and that the special interests, and we all have them as individuals, but in the horse world, it seems our interests want to influence us even more so. So um, it, it's just a, it, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. We're going to shift and move on just a touch, and we've already, you brought this up from the beginning, um, the lifestyle. And, you know, while Jody and I kind of picked the cowboy side of the world and made our lives there, for our own reasons, that's fine. But the entire horse lifestyle, yes, the cowboy lifestyle, because of Yellowstone's new series, um, the new American professional horseman event's going to be in March, you know, uh, held with the rodeo. I think that that's going to be fascinating to see what that means. It's about the public awareness to this horse lifestyle. Um, and it's getting a lot of attention, which all of us, all of us, are nothing but thrilled about that but then comes the rest of the responsibility um and i think all of us because in jody's in my lifetime you know we always wanted those big con yes you want to win but you also wanted to win in front of an audience that appreciated all the work that you put into what you were doing um well we're kind of flirting with that as an industry but it carries a huge level of responsibility and i'm going to use this new term that's wanting to dance around called social license to operate um and i i find it fascinating so my question is are you aware of it and if you are then what are you guys as an organization kind of doing with that and if you're not then we can talk about that but as the horse world gets what it's wishing for, which is public awareness, it carries responsibility. So that's where this new common term is going to become, I think, more common this year, social license to operate. That's, that's a thought-provoking question. So I am familiar with the license to operate, and I, I think... Uh, it's definitely something that as an industry we need to focus on making sure we're not just growing it too fast and there's no support net for the people who maybe don't don't stick with it and can't sell their horses and don't know what to do with them i do think the the horse industry in general has has taken leaps and bounds 
in you know just the care for the horses and the humane treatment at events at home wherever horses are um but i i do think this is one more step in the direction that we've already been going and and as horse lovers we we want horses to to be treated fairly and we and you know we need to to be aware of it and educate people and and have outlets for people to contact or or you know sell horses instead of everyone every man for himself and i think there's a lot that we can still do to together uh, with all the breeds and disciplines uh to to do this and it would it would it would be education within our organizations but it's also communication to the horse owners and the the responsibility of owning a horse and yeah i think it's yeah i think it's something that we can definitely do okay yeah yeah i mean that's that's a great answer and i think like i said it's it's something that is so it's so new to us like say from a trainer standpoint i think most of the time most most trainers and uh, you know it's like when you're working so hard to make a living at something that you say just leave me alone let me do my job so we wouldn't pay enough attention to that i think that i think that uh the next generation are going to be much more well schooled in that area so i i would think that uh that perhaps they're going to get ahead of that curve like you guys are I mean in in the Arabian business so anyway I think that's a it's going to be a potential sticky area but I think that I think that if uh, if people are aware of it they'll find an answer for it uh, but I would then say it's only going to be sticky if we we in the industry allow it to be sticky I think the responsibility is about that component um, because if we want more people to be involved with horses, then there's responsibility that just carries with it. And I've used the analogy of it's not the same as a dog or a cat. It's, it's, it's a different animal. And so there's a respect and a, and a communication and a bond that's very different. So it's not a pet, um, but it's a different animal partnership. And so that responsibility and how we teach you know, fellow people and putting the horse first is really what the big piece is of the, of the social license to operate um, because that's what the public, it's what everybody expects. You know, you, you can do what you want to yourself, but they're not going to tolerate you doing not good things to your pet or your animals. So th that's where that comes from. So, Don't you think we've been doing a better job at that? I do as an industry. Yes, I do. And if you looked over time and the numbers would actually say that, yes, I do. But I think in modern time, it's just not, you can't put your head in the sand and think that it doesn't mm -hmm. exist and you can't have it both ways. And yes, I do think as an industry, we are doing much better with it, but I think we always have to, it's one of those things you have to keep working at it. Um, and you can't let a few bad apples spoil the rest of the tree. So, um, Yes. So, um, tell us real quick to just kind of wrap it up, Terrell, because you have a, the lifestyle. What's that mean to you, and how did you 
Miss Terrell, a Western Canadian, <laughs> end up in Scottsdale running the largest horse show in the, the Arabian horse show in the world. Tell us about that. What's it mean? Um, well, the, the horse lifestyle to me is innately who I am. And I think for me, when I think about it, I think of peace and happiness and, and uh, a shared a shared experience with an animal and I always say to people and that people look at me like I don't know what she's talking about but imagine your favorite dog being able to carry you on its back and care for you and you could go explore all these different adventures and I think to me that sums it up I have this trusted partner and I I love everything about it I have a little horse ranch, only three horses, and I love every part of it. I love, except for when it rains too much and it gets muddy. That's I probably don't love that, but going out there at night and just checking yeah. on them and them staring at the house for me to come and feed them and taking them for a ride, all of that, and sharing them with other people is is really where I'm getting a lot of joy right now. and. I just, uh, the, the horse lifestyle, I can't imagine my life without it. it. It would be empty, you know, living in a house, going to work, going shopping. I mean, it just adds so much, so much to my life. So I really love to share that with other people. And then how did I get down here? Well, I was married and uh, my husband, ex-husband, got recruited to come down to Phoenix to work and we were going to come down for five years and then head back up to Canada because that's where I'm from and got involved with the horse show and, and never you know, never looked back. So. Uh, yeah, I love it here. It's 25 years. I'm an American citizen, and uh, I can't imagine not being involved. It's, I can't, yeah. I, I mean, I've been involved so long. I feel sometimes like I just graduated university, which was a very long time ago, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have a long future still. Right. Yes, <laughs> you do. You're just getting warmed up. Jody and I are on yeah. the other side of that mountain. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's great. Well, we're we're glad to have you, girl. I mean, thank yep, you. Yeah, you, you make it better. I'm I'm sitting here laughing to myself because part of the part of the thing with horses, I you know, they obviously I've grown up with them. You know, third generation, right? And I love them, and they've done a they've done great for me. And and I I I still laugh because I think sometimes the people that that are uh, when we were a little kid i mean you'd see my friend flicka in black and white and you whistle for him and the horse would come running around the building and just wanted to be with you so bad and i you know people see horses on television and they they think you know this and if they could see that old broodmare that old gelding that knows he can beat me to the gate so that i can't catch him right you know they can be like yeah most, right? they, they know it's like they're like looking at you going uh -uh, there's no way you're going to get me before i get there and oh yeah. my gosh yeah the greatest animal in the world but can be the most frustrating too because they're so smart in that respect yeah. but yeah. anyway terrell i yeah, I mean, our time always goes so fast when we do these shows, and you know, like you have been awesome. I mean, you've helped me learn so much about that horse show and your breed. Um, 
you know, we, we can't thank you enough. And it's a great event that you produce, and I know how hard you work. So, you know, thanks to, uh, thanks to your Arabian Horse Association of Arizona, and thanks to you for being on well, the show with us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me, and thank you for bringing this awareness to more people. And we'll all work together to responsibly grow the horse industry. Yep. <laughs> That's what we're all trying to do. Um, we, Terrell, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, the Arizona Arabian Horse Association. Thank your staff. Thank your board. Thank your membership. We can't say thanks enough for all that you guys are doing. Um, we will continue to promote um, you guys. Scottsdaleshow.com. The links will be in place. Uh, cowboyoffice.com you can get all of those direct links we will provide all the links to your social we invite the audience to continue to push through if you've got interest in horses go to scottsdaleshow.com um, get involved touch base there's a lot of ways to do that and uh, as a reminder to the audience whatever your platform of choice Remember to hit subscribe or that like button because that's what keeps me and Jody going. Um, and until the next time, enjoy the ride. Hey, thanks again. And uh, until next time, stay in the middle. Today's episode is brought to you by 40 Productions in cooperation with the Consultment Agency, a full-service agency that helps bring forward-thinking equine brands into the 21st century using digital skills and services such as website development, graphic design, social media, and media production, such as the podcast you're consuming here today. Thank you so much for riding along with us today. Sign up at cowboyoffice.com to be the first to know about topics affecting the industry we love so much. You can reach out to us with topics you care about by finding us on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. And remember, share this episode with someone that may enjoy it, because the more we can share our horses with others, the better our world will be.